Thank you, and that's all. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. It's so good to be here with you this afternoon here at Eastside City Church. We are becoming church together. We are becoming church family together. How many believe it's good to come together as a family and to laugh and to have some fun? Yeah, did you come here this morning expecting to laugh? Yeah, that's too bad. Uh, we've been talking the past few Sundays about instant family. Uh, maybe you knew this already, maybe you didn't know, but when you decided to become part of the family, part of the church, you instantly inherited a family, uh, whether you wanted to or not. So, surprise! <laughs> we're your family. Uh, we're a big, beautiful, extended family. You know, when Pastor Todd and I... I decided to start our family. We were so excited. We were just excited and, and terrified all at the same time. It was, it was quite the experience. It was a journey, but we loved the journey of becoming parents. And I don't know about you, but uh, our kids were incredibly cute. And uh, they were little, and they, they just looked like little angels, you know, just, just sent from heaven directly to us, you know. They were just precious, you know. But this was deception. <laughs> because they did not stay that way. They grew up and they became teenagers. <laughs> now, by show of hands, how many of you have had the privilege of raising teenagers? Some of you. How many of you have been a teenager? Yes. Yeah. How many of you are teenagers right now? And don't lie. Yeah. All right. So we got a few. All right. Good. Because uh, now you're going to understand exactly what I mean when I read this story to you. There was, this, there was this couple who were struggling with their teens. They had a university student and a grade 10 student. And I promise this is not a story about my family. And their kids were just a handful. They had gotten into the habit of causing all kinds of problems. And the parents were fed up. So the mom and dad decided that they needed a vacation away from their kids. For the first time ever, they splurged on a trip to Greece and decided to send a postcard back home to their unruly teens. And this is how it read. Dear sons, we are now standing high on a cliff from which the ancient Spartan women would hurl their defective children to the rocks below. Wish you were here. <laughs> now, this is funny because there's some truth in it. And the truth is that family is messy. Family is messy. There's arguing, there's bickering. There's fighting. There's moments when outside voices are used inside, you know, your home. Uh, I remember uh, a few times when my kids were little and uh, we were driving in a car and they were misbehaving and, you know, the, the noise level was quite high. Uh, I would point out the garden center with the red barn as we drove by it and I would tell them, that's the crazy farm. And uh, that's where parents go. Uh, when they want to exchange their naughty children for nice ones. 
I would have instant silence in the car. <laughs> it worked for years until our oldest learned how to read, and then I had to change strategies. But before you judge me, because I can tell that you're judging me, and I can feel it rising in the room, I have a friend who uh, told her kids that the ice cream truck only plays music when they're out of ice cream. <laughs> So I guess I'm not such a bad mom after all. But family is messy. Would you agree with that? There are great moments. Don't get me wrong. There are great moments. But there are not so great moments as well. Uh, the reason is, is because there is no family that's perfect. Uh, because there's no one person who's perfect. Now we might all desire to be perfect because we associate perfection with health. And health is something that we all value in this life, right? We all want to be healthy. I don't know anybody that says, oh, please make me unhealthy. Um, everyone knows that it's important to be healthy because healthy things grow. Healthy things live long, productive lives. Now, just because we know this, it doesn't mean that we always successfully hit the mark of perfect health. But we acknowledge that it's a good thing. It's a good thing to have. It's a good standard to have. And it's worth working towards. Because the alternative is unhealthy. Having stunted growth, having declining health, and potentially an early death due to poor health. So we associate perfect with good and healthy. And we associate imperfect with bad and unhealthy. But the reality is it's impossible to be perfect. Thanks to Adam and Eve and the choice that they made in the garden, all of us are already born into sin. All of us are already born imperfect. Genesis chapter 3, you can look that up yourself and read that at another time. It's very clear what they did and how it impacted everything and every one born after them. And because of the choice that they made in the garden, everything here on earth is flawed and broken. The weather is broken. It doesn't work right, especially in Calgary. Uh, the economy is broken. Government is broken. Relationships are broken. Families are broken. The church is broken. Even Christians are broken. Now, I'm sorry if this is blowing your mind right now. If you came here today thinking, oh, certainly this church is a perfect one and the people here are perfect, um, spoiler alert, we're not. And you're not going to find one that's perfect. But the truth is, in life and in this life, not only are we born broken, but we pick up brokenness along the way. As we experience different things, we pick up more brokenness. We carry our brokenness around with us everywhere we go. And we pass our brokenness on to our children. Everyone has brokenness inside of them. Everyone has issues. In fact, Christians should be the least surprised at brokenness here on earth. That's why we need a savior. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 2, 
in the Bible. You can look on the screen. Chapter 2, verse 16 and verse 17 says this. Jesus points this out. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, I've read this scripture probably a thousand times in my lifetime. And I've always thought as I was reading it, okay, that makes sense, right? Sick people, they need a doctor. That, that makes logical sense. And it's easy to skim over that scripture, think that way, and just kind of go on and, and read on to the next part. But take a closer look at verse 17 and ask yourself this question. Who qualifies as being righteous? Who do you know that meets that standard? Do you know anybody that meets the standard of righteousness? Yeah, the answer is there's no one here on earth who qualifies as being righteous. Only God is righteous. And so follow along through the logic with me. If only God is righteous, then everyone else is unrighteous. And if everyone else is unrighteous, then everyone else is unwell and in need of a doctor. Nowhere in that text does Jesus ever say, hey, you Pharisees, you guys are righteous, so you're fine. It's just all these other people are sinners. But I know you thought that when you read it. You probably thought that. See, the Pharisees made two really big mistakes. The first one was they were incredibly judgmental and critical. They were appalled that Jesus was sitting with those kind of people. But the second mistake that they made was they were completely blind to their own spiritual condition. They were completely blind to it. And the bigger problem out of those two is their blindness, their spiritual blindness. You see, they missed it. They missed what Jesus was saying to them. They heard him say that he came for the broken, but they missed that he was saying, hey, I'm not here for those who think they're righteous because Jesus already knows nobody's righteous. So he's like, I'm not, I didn't come here for the righteous, but what he's saying is, I didn't come here for people who think they're already righteous. I came here for the broken. If we're not careful, we can miss it too. If we think it's only other people who are troubled and have issues, then we're putting ourselves in the same category as the Pharisees. And if we consider ourselves as being righteous, then we're exempt from having to sit at the table with all the other sinners. And if we're without sin, we have no need of a Savior. What would you need to be saved from? If we aren't broken, we don't need anyone to fix us. We're fine. We're fine. Tell somebody you're fine. Yeah, you're lying. 
In fact, the quicker that we as Christians can stop pretending that we're okay and just admit that we're broken, the quicker we can receive the help we so desperately need. Research shows uh, three things. Three of the hardest things to say are, I was wrong, I need help, and Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> Try saying that. <laughs> Worcestershire. What? Worcestershire. Is it Worcestershire? Doesn't matter. It's not important. They're the three hardest things to say. I was wrong, and I need help, and the other one. For a long time, there's been this false idea out there, this false thinking. And I don't know who started it, but it's out there. That somehow Christians are righteous, which basically means they're perfect. Therefore, they must be good. And of course, they're healthy. Of course, they're healthy. Of course, they are. No, no. We're not righteous. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is righteous. And our righteousness is in him as we accept him as our savior. It's in him and in him we're freed from the law of sin and death. We don't, we don't have to pay the price of sin because he paid it for us on the cross. But we still have to work through issues in our life. We still have to get healing for things that are inside of our hearts. They're inside of us and going on. We, we don't just automatically become perfect and whole and in need of nothing else forevermore and ever after. We're not righteous. Jesus is righteous. And we have the power to live victoriously, to live in his righteousness because he gives us that power. He gives us that strength. But it doesn't come from us. So the question that we need to be asking ourselves is, what's broken? What's broken? How do I find out what's broken inside of me? Because sometimes brokenness isn't obvious at first. It can be latent or hidden, buried under years of Christianese cover-ups and rules of proper Christian behavior on Sunday mornings. You know, we're really good at hiding things, right? I don't know about you, but in my house, uh, when we're trying to get ready for church on Sunday morning and get out the door, it's not perfect. There's a little bit of, everybody get in the door, we're, we're going to be late. And uh, we're barreling down the highway to get here. And uh, as soon as we pull up and get out of our door and someone else is getting out of the door, it's, hello, brother so-and-so. God bless you, sister. Praise the Lord. It's such a great day. <laughs> oh, so you know that same, you have that same experience. Yeah, in your house. Uh, you know, it's not perfect, Right. And it seems like when you really have to be somewhere, it's really not perfect. I don't know why, but it works out that way. So how do we find out what's broken? How do we go about doing this? What is the simplest way to assess for brokenness? I will give you a key. Say a key. A key. Two things to look for. Write this down. The first, look for obvious pain. Obvious pain. The second, look for reaction pain. 
reaction pain. Let me explain. Obvious pain is easy to assess. Like the time that I broke my foot a few years ago on a children's bounce house at a youth barbecue while I was racing teenagers backwards through the obstacle course. It was very obvious that I was in pain. I, the moment I hit the ground, I knew I was in pain. I knew immediately I had brokenness. In fact, it was extremely obvious, not only to myself, but those around me knew that I had brokenness. It was very obvious to them. In fact, I even think that the houses surrounding this church were aware that I had brokenness in that moment. It was very clear to them that I had brokenness. It was impossible for me to hide it. I was very vocal about it. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34 says this, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For whatever is going on inside of your heart is not something that you can keep from coming out of your mouth. People who struggle with obvious pain tend to be very vocal about it. You can hear it in their voice. You can hear it in their words. It's a common theme in all of their conversations. It seems to come out every time they talk. They carry it with them. In fact, it's almost like an accessory to their outfit. It's like a traveling companion. You know, it goes with them everywhere, stays with them. It's their little friend. It's part of everything they do. It's part of every relationship they have. And it's part of every conversation that they're in. That's obvious pain. Now, reaction pain is not as easy to assess. Because most of the time, reaction pain is hidden. It really only gets discovered once a tender area is exposed. Let me explain. Eight months before we got married, Pastor Todd and I decided we were going to go skiing. I like to ski, he likes to ski. We thought, this will be fantastic. We'll be a skiing family. This will be amazing. Let's go skiing and let's, you know, start this journey together, you know, skiing. Uh, so we went. It was a marvelous day. It was my favorite mountain. It was a beautiful day. The sky was blue. The sun was shining. The snow was the perfect consistency. Everything about that day was great until I crashed. And I knew in the moment that I had hurt my knee, but I thought it was just a sprain. You know, just a minor flesh wound. You know, something that I could just, you know, quickly go on and I'll be fine. I, I, can, I can carry on. Now, six months after that accident, I happened to be at my doctor's, just having a routine checkup. And I thought, you know, I'm here. I might as well let my doctor know that uh, this happened, you know, I'm, I'm fine, but I should probably get it on paper, like on my record that this happened. So I explained to her what happened. And as I was explaining, um, she reached over and she put her fingers in a place on my knee that I did not know existed before that moment. She found this 
particular spot on my knee. And I was totally fine. But she found that spot and then she pressed on it. And in that moment when she pressed on it, this deep and desperate and guttural, horrid cry came wailing up out of me and I was immediately launched back into the air. And uh, as my doctor was climbing the ladder to peel me off the ceiling, uh, she said to me, actually, you tore your ACL. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) I what? All those months, I had been hobbling along, thinking that I had just sprained my knee. But really, I've been walking on a torn ligament. This, this is, let me just put this into perspective for those of you who don't care for football. When you see, like, two medics, like, carrying a, a large, strong football player off of the field and he's bawling his eyes out, kind of, um, that is usually indicating that he tore his ACL. So I had that injury. I had the injury that like big, strong football players get, you know? And all that time I was like, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. I had no idea I was injured that badly because nothing was pressing on it. It wasn't until my doctor poked around that we discovered that I had a bigger problem. Have you ever noticed reaction pain in your life? And I'm not talking about physical pain. I mean, I was, but now I'm talking about spiritual stuff. Now I'm talking about deeper stuff. Maybe you found yourself in a situation where something was said or or done to you, or even if it wasn't even done to you or said to you, you happen to be in a conversation and somebody said something. Or somebody did something, and before you could stop it from happening, this inferno of rage welled up from deep inside of you and erupted out of you like a violent volcano. Kind of like the Incredible Hulk, you know, that green superhero guy? Something just happens, and it just sets you off. You just explode. You're triggered. And you didn't know it until someone pulled the trigger. If you've ever been surprised by your reaction, by the the passion of your reaction, you probably have some hidden brokenness. So you didn't know that anything was there up until that moment because nothing had exposed it. It's not until something triggers the area that you become aware there's a problem. Now, we have a choice to make when we discover these two kinds of pain in our lives. We can either choose to acknowledge that the pain is there and it's real and that there's probably a problem there, or we can choose to ignore it. If we choose to acknowledge that there's a problem, it's going to require that we do something to fix it. When I broke my foot, I had to decide to seek out the help of an emergency room doctor because I needed him to help me figure out what the problem was. I knew something was wrong. Everyone else knew, 
but I didn't know exactly what was wrong. Now, once he assessed the problem, I had to decide whether or not I was going to follow his directions to fix the problem. Now, if you know me, I am the world's worst patient, which is kind of ironic because I was a registered nurse for many years. <laughs> but the truth is, I'm a terrible patient because I don't always like what the doctor tells me. And most of the time, deep down in my heart, I believe that I know better than him. So I don't really listen to him anyway, because I'm already thinking in my head of a better way to do things. Uh, now, I'm not proud of this, but this is the truth. I'm just keeping it real here this morning. I don't like to experience pain. And I know that part of getting healing means that I'm going to have to go through moments of pain, seasons of pain. But sometimes I fool myself into thinking that I can take shortcuts. Now, these are things that the doctor doesn't know about. So I think that if I take my shortcuts, I'll get through this season faster. I'll get through quicker. I'll do a better job. But there are consequences for taking shortcuts. How many of you know this? There are consequences for trying to take a shortcut. For example, I don't like to use crutches. The reason is, is because I'm extremely clumsy with them. And I feel like I'm more dangerous on my crutches than I am just not on them. You know, before, uh, we didn't have these new fangdangle little things that you get. Now, if you break your leg, you get a little scooter. You know, it's kind of cool, right? Those little, you just rest your knee on it and you kind of scoot around. I'm like, those are amazing. Where were those when I broke my foot? I got the old-fashioned crutches. And the problem is, is that uh, I'm not very good with them. And um, so I decided that I would just walk on my broken foot. Because I had a cast and it was pretty sturdy. And I thought I'd be fine. You know, I'm a busy person, Okay. I'm busy, I got places to go, I got people to see, I got things to do, and I don't have time for crutches. You know what I'm saying? I, ain't nobody got time for those crutches, okay? I already fell down the stairs twice trying to use them. I don't have time for those crutches. So I decided they were just going to get in the way, and they were going to hold me back, and they were going to probably cause more trouble. So now I decided I was going to just walk. And so what I did was is I put weight on my ankle of my broken foot. And I just hobbled along like this. <laughs> it wasn't pretty, but that's what I did. Now, the consequence of my decision to walk prematurely on my injury is that now I can predict weather faster than Al Roker, David Spence, and every meteorologist on the entire weather network. <laughs> because something didn't heal right in my foot. And now every time a cold front is coming in, I can tell. And I'm faster than David Spence. I can predict it and I'm more accurate. <laughs> right? Just want to let you know there's a cold front coming because I'm starting to feel a little ache 
in my foot. See, the road to healing involves seasons of pain. But it's better to travel the whole road rather than take shortcuts. Now, some of us think that ignoring our brokenness would be a less painful choice, you know? Just burn it and bury it in the ground, and you'll be fine. Cover it up and shove it down deep, and you'll be fine. Just go on. You're okay. You're alive. You're okay. Everything's good. You're fine. You're fine. But unfortunately, burying it won't make it better. It doesn't go away just because we pretend that it's not there. When I was a burn nurse uh, at the hospital, I learned that one of the most dangerous times for a burn patient is not necessarily in the moment that they get injured, uh, not all the time. Um, the most dangerous time for a burn patient is between 14 and 21 days after the injury. And this is when the latent or hidden infection, all that bacteria, rears its ugly head and starts to attack different parts of the body. You see, ignoring the problem only causes it to fester. Festering wounds only get bigger and deeper. And deep wounds only get exposed when the source of the infection is so bad that it seeps out and starts to infect other areas of the body. Now, this is really terrible for that area that has the injury, but it's lethal for the body. It's lethal. It's called sepsis. And if we don't catch it right away, and if we don't expose it and get the right medicine right away, it causes destruction of the surrounding tissues, death of the tissues, actually. It causes incredible pain. It causes organ failure. It causes whole body systems to fail. It causes delusions, insanity, and eventually death. No matter which choice you make, pain's going to be involved. It's just that one choice involves pain that leads to healing, and the other involves pain that leads to more pain and deeper problems and eventually destruction of the whole body. You see, the process of healing isn't supposed to be fun or enjoyable. It's not supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. That's a sign that things are getting exposed. That's a sign that things are getting cleaned out. That's a sign that things are getting dealt with. Stuff is coming out. That's a good sign. You want to get the junk out and get the medicine in. Something is happening that's good. Something is working. Something is finally getting the attention that is needed. Today, I want to ask you, would you be brave and willing to examine your own heart and take an honest look 
and evaluate where you're really at. Psalms 139 verse 23 says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. It's good to ask the Holy Spirit to do a heart checkup on us. It's good to give him permission to poke around. It's good to give him permission to reveal to you what's going on. Show you areas that you didn't realize were there. Maybe you've got pain from things that happened to you when you were a child. You know, growing up in your family. Things that were out of your control. Maybe words were spoken or tempers were flaring in your household. Maybe hearts were wounded. Maybe your heart was wounded. Maybe you've carried that around all these years. But because you're an adult, you've had to get on with your life. You've had to kind of put it away and get going and ignore it. Or maybe you've been hurt by a church family. Or by relationships of others outside of your family. Maybe issues arose and and never got resolved or taken care of. And you kind of buried them deep and tried to ignore them. You know, well, we need to forgive and so we'll just forgive and let it go. You know, and we won't worry about it anymore. And that's true, but that's not how it works. Maybe you feel like as a Christian... You weren't supposed to have issues or wounds because it would be somehow shameful if anybody knew what was really going on inside of your heart. Can I just say this, that there's no such thing as a perfect Christian or a perfect church. It just simply doesn't exist. And we need to stop pretending that it exists We need to stop expecting to find it. Perfection belongs to the Lord. We just need to be honest and admit that we all have brokenness. You can choose to ignore it. You can choose to bury it. You can choose to wear it. You can choose to medicate it. Or you can choose to own it and take responsibility for it. And seek out the help that you need to get the healing. We have a wonderful program here at Eastside called Celebrate Recovery. It takes place every Tuesday night at 6.30 here at the church every Tuesday of the year. And if you have questions about it or you want to know more about it, After I'm done speaking, there's a table that's set up in the lobby, and you can go and you can ask some of the leaders what it's about. I know at first when you hear the name Celebrate Recovery, it's easy to assume that it's only for people who have certain kinds of issues, you know, the ones that you don't have. It's easy to just think, oh, that's, that's not for me. That's for people who have these problems. But the truth is, it's for everyone. It's for everyone and everyone who finds themselves dealing with pain. You can't escape 
brokenness. You can't escape pain. It is part of our earthly experience. The first time I um, attended Celebrate Recovery, it was because I was to check it out to see if it was a good program for our church to offer. And so it was my responsibility to explore it and to find out all about it and to go to it and check it out and see uh, how it was, see if it was a good thing uh, that we could promote for our church. And so I went. And as I went, like many other people, I think, when you get there, you're not aware of just how much you can relate. It really wasn't until people started to talk about things. And, and let me just say that nobody forces anyone to talk. It's you talk if you want to. But as people would be brave and they would start to talk and they would start to open up and they would start to share and they would start to get real, I was surprised at how much I could relate to what they were saying, how much I could identify with some of the same things they were struggling with in my own life. I know that's shocking to some people, maybe not anymore. I was surprised. And each time I went and more people would share, there was more and more things that I was beginning to have my eyes open to that I was like, I didn't even realize, but I actually can, I can relate to that too. And I, I have that too. And I have that too. And eventually I was like, please stop talking because every time you talk, I find out I have another problem. <laughs> you see, I was so busy just trying to get through my life that I had bottled things up without even realizing it. Put them in a box and dug a hole and buried it. Just tried to ignore it, things that I didn't have time to deal with, things that I didn't think would ever get dealt with. And so you just go on, you just ignore it. But Celebrate Recovery helped me uncover and unpack some of those things and some of my feelings that I had not acknowledged for most of my life. But it gave me skills to unpack that stuff. Skills to deal with those areas. And even future areas that might flare up. Future things that might get exposed. Now I've got skills and I know how to deal with it. I know what to do. If you're here today, you can relate to any of the things that I've been sharing so far, I want to let you know this is a safe church, to be honest. This is a safe place, to be honest. To be honest with yourself, to be honest with the Lord, and to be honest with other people. Maybe you're here for the first time and you have never heard anything like this before. You had no idea. You had no idea that when you decided to join a church, you would inherit a family and you certainly didn't know it would be a broken one. But maybe you find it comforting to know that real Christians aren't perfect and that real church doesn't pretend to be. 
perfect. That's just the reality. Who are we kidding? We need Jesus every day. Not just the day we got saved, every day. Every day. Wherever you find yourself out this morning, I pray that your heart has been open to hear that Jesus is real, the Holy Spirit is here, and there's hope. There's hope. You don't have to wait until Tuesday. You don't have to wait until something gets exposed. You don't have to wait until uh, there's obvious pain in your life. You can start your healing now, right here. Holy Spirit is here. Jesus came for the sick. He came for the unhealthy. He came for the imperfect. He came for the broken. And he's here today. And he's wanting to touch your heart. He's wanting to heal you.